Hello there. In this episode, we discuss a range of online criminal activities and problematic behaviours. So we think it's only fair to warn you in advance that there will be topics here that some people will find distressing, among them child sexual abuse. You can find further information and resources about the work of hotlines on the InHope website, www.inhope.org. If you're in the UK and you have concerns about yourself or someone else, you can contact the Stop It Now helpline at stopitnow.org.uk. Now, there are lots of organisations working around the world to keep children safe online, and most countries have a safer internet centre where you will find some really useful online resources with a quick Google search. Now on with the show. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Cyber Warrior Princess. Uh, I'm here with my lovely, talented and amazingly genius, uh, Victoria Baines, Dr. Victoria Baines. Uh, we're happy to be back recording episode number six. Hard to believe now. That means it's been almost half a year that we've been doing these things. Uh, yeah, but Beck, we've also been a little bit lackluster, haven't we? We, we probably need to um, make some apologies to our, our two dedicated listeners because we do only have two. From, from I was about to say that, but I was going to blame <laughs> you because you were the jet setter these days. If you would just stay in one country or another, please, and then we could actually do this. <laughs> so with apologies to the fabulous Paloma, our greatest Twitter fan, <laughs> and to Steve Shakeshaft, who has been teasing us mercilessly on LinkedIn about the fact that we haven't done one of these for a while. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot this straight back at you, Beck, because you've got a new job as well, which means that you know we've been a little bit all over the place. But you're absolutely right. I have been. I think the uh, official term is here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> and um, I've been all over the place um, in the last few weeks, and that's pretty relevant, I think, to what we're going to talk about today, which um, you could you could kind of term it generally as online harm, but um, we're going to have a talk about badness um, online and what we think might be an acceptable level of misbehaviour and, and what we need to do about that. And the last few weeks, um, I have been in California um, for the um, industry summit of InHope. And InHope is the International Association of Internet Hotlines. So all of those national hotlines around the world um, in the US, it would be the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. In the UK, it's the Internet Watch Foundation, the IWF. Um, they're the points of contact that, that ordinary people and companies get in touch with um, when they identify illegal material online, but specifically um, child abuse material. Um, now, and that's been... Yeah. Sorry, Vic, I just had a burning question there. How are you supposed to know how to find those people and contact them? I mean, uh, I've always wondered about that simply because of my last job, obviously, we came across stuff all the time and, and we worked with CIOP and we worked with the NCA and in the States, we went to the FBI and I'm assuming the right. FBI knew who to work with, but how are you supposed to know, like, that's not common knowledge, is it? That's right. And it relies on a, an individual national hotline um, doing some really good marketing, right? So working with the police is definitely one way that you can... Uh, make yourself known out there. I think the Internet Watch Foundation in the UK, they do a really good job of 
publicizing their statistics, for instance. And, and, you know, when they get reports in, they're able to produce analysis off the back of that, showing, for instance, where um, reported material is being hosted, you know, what country it's being hosted in. And that, in turn, can have an impact on policy. You know, if you find that, for instance, a lot of material is being hosted in Russia, that has an impact on how you engage with the Russian authorities to get that material taken down. Now, um, ju- just had another thought, Vic. Should we really clarify what we're talking about in terms of material? Because I think that you are so heavily embedded in what you're doing that this is, you know, like breathing for you. And I think some people that might want to listen to this episode might not have an understanding. And and again, I saw this with my job at Digital Shadows. You know, we would come across um, different um, types of uh, pedophile, pedophile related content, for example. And we didn't have the language to talk about it. And we didn't have all of the different um, ins and outs, I guess, of understanding around how to deal with that. And for you, that's what you're really heavily involved in, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, there are lots of different terms used for this kind of material. I would use the term child sexual abuse material because it's images and videos that depict the sexual abuse of children. Right. So um, and that could be that can be generated in a number of ways. But for instance, you know, it could be that a child is abused offline and then their abuser takes photos of that abuse, which in its very strictest terms, if you think about that, that's that's kind of a record of a crime scene, right, of a, of a serious mm. crime. But then mm. it can also include, you know, material that's been solicited from children themselves online. Mm-hmm. So you hear a lot about child grooming um, where you, kids are approached on social media, for instance, or on image or video sharing sites, um, and they will be asked to take images of themselves Um, And sometimes those can be quite sexual images, you know, it can be images of them with their clothes off. And that's that stranger danger piece um, that that people um, worry about um, and that you hear about in the media. So um, so we absolutely have different types of content within that. And it's a bit confusing, actually, for people in different countries because we refer to it in different ways. So in the well, US, yeah, well, people it, yeah. talking about child pornography, right? Yeah, um, right and then right. In, that's in the legislation in many countries. But those of us who've worked in this environment for a while, and particularly people who have to deal with supporting children and investigating the crimes, they say that actually pornography is not the appropriate term for this kind of material. Right. Because right. it implies... A certain amount of consent you know kind of adult informed consent in pornography that you just don't get when you're talking about um child abuse material right um right. and so for me it's been really interesting because i absolutely have have worked in that field for 10 or 15 years and i know that some of our listeners are people that i've worked with at in the national crime agency at the the child exploitation and online protection center so a, you know a shout out to them for continuing to do what they do because it is it's a tough job oh, and it's a really oh, tough subject and, and I and I can absolutely appreciate that you know this might not be easy listening to to some people um but so and I think this it's a good example though right because all over the world um people are pretty much agreed that this stuff is a serious offense that it's abhorrent um, yeah. and that children shouldn't be abused. So we've got a kind of 
baseline, if you like, of things that absolutely shouldn't be allowed on the internet. Yeah. The content itself is illegal and it's a representation of, you know, a sexual abuse of a child. Absolutely. But then absolutely. I spent, having spent that week with all of the hotlines that are really dedicated and work very, very hard to remove this material from the internet and to, um, you know, make sure that children aren't re-victimised by these images still going around. Right. I then spent right. the following week at RightsCon in Tunis, um, where, you know, it's the world's largest gathering of online rights activists, and they were preoccupied with something very, very different. They were preoccupied with freedom of speech, um, and, you know, the main topic that I kept hearing about, there were 400 sessions at this wow, conference. Wow. And every single one I went into, somebody somewhere mentioned um, NSO and their provision of um, spyware, the Pegasus spyware, to governments who were then what, using spyware. What's NSO? To, what's NSO? Um, NSO Group is uh, an Israeli company who allegedly um, provides um, counterterrorism and surveillance software to um, governments, some governments around the world. Mm. And um, Pegasus spyware, which was found to be used um, particularly um, in Mexico to surveil activists and journalists and has been allegedly linked to some of the intelligence gathering um, in the run-up to um, the death of the Saudi journalist um, Jamal Khashoggi, right. you know, right. so so I've I've really had my eyes opened. I think in the last few weeks to how different groups of people have different priorities when it comes to talking about what's permissible on the internet and what isn't. Right, you know, both right. in terms of behaviour and in terms of of content. Yeah. And I was just sitting here thinking, you, you I think, perfectly enumerated the, the problem behind why we don't have sort of global reg regulation or or global um, agreement around how to handle, you know, child abuse uh, images or child abuse material online. Um, because we do have so many conflicting opinions about, you know, what the rights are and what the permissions are with regard to posting, sharing, distributing, you know, and use of, of the Internet. And I, I wonder if there ever will be a time where we ever have some sort of globally accepted, I, I won't say law, because obviously we're not going to have a global law, but some sort of, I don't know, a, 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 a procedure, a, a standard, a, I don't know what you would call it, but kind of like a NATO, right? NATO for the internet type of thing. So yes, absolutely. And that takes us into a really, really interesting space of cyber diplomacy, right? Um, okay. And I do think that actually... When it comes to things like online child abuse, um, that is the one area where we do have a lot of consensus and we do have international legal instruments. So it all filters down from the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And then underneath that, you've got regional instruments like um, the Lanzarote Convention, and that's a specific legal instrument from uh, the Council of Europe and from the, the European Union that focuses on combating um, child sexual abuse. Um, and, and that's great because lots of different countries sign up to that and then part of what they then have to do is, is transpose that international law and make sure that they have the resources available to, to 
have a helpline, to have a hotline, to remove material, to have a national specialist law enforcement unit. So I actually think we're better sorted on online child protection and arguably, I would say, to some extent, counterterrorism than we are some of the greyer stuff, you know, like hate speech. Hate speech is... There are certain protected categories around the world where... You know, some countries are relatively agreed that attacking people on the basis of their ethnicity, their gender, their religion, their sexuality is not okay. And you'll see, for instance, some of the the big global platforms like Facebook and, and Twitter, their terms of service are designed to reflect that, right? They're designed to reflect the fact that, generally speaking, um, there are a bunch of us who think that's not okay. Right. but there are countries, you know, where homosexuality is illegal, um, where there is a dominant faith and there is intolerance of any other faiths, mm. um, where actually they're going to have different customs and, and different thresholds for that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that that's the crux of sort of what I was talking about. It's, you know, everyone's universally agreed that, um, you know, the, the CAMS related stuff, child abuse, what is that child abuse material? What's the S? Sexual. Uh, there you go. And, and everyone's in agreement on that, right? And then if you start talking to people, um, I think people are in agreement as well around like hate speech, for example, no one wants to hear hate speech. But then that's where you get the overriding concerns with free speech. And then if you look at the states, for example, you get people that are looking at, um, you know, the original rights and laws bestowed upon us. That's where they're having all the big gun debate stuff going on right now. And it just gets so fractured so quickly and everything just breaks apart. Um, going back to your your work, though, and, and what you've been doing recently, again, the thing that really interests me is that there's so much knowledge that you obviously have. There's such a great network that you're talking about. I have got zero understanding of that. And I would right. think that as someone who is a Joe Blow internet user, that I should have more insight and understanding of, hey, if you come across something horrible, you know, that pertains to this type of material, this is how you would report it. Like, I know how to dial 111, right? If I'm in the States, I know I dial 911, you know. There's like an emergency reporting process for if you're hurt or something. It feels like there should be a bit more common knowledge around this. And I think that's why a lot of times people don't understand exactly how much of this type of material is out there. And then they often get surprised because, again, when I was at Digital Shadows, you know, we we unfortunately saw a lot of this material um, in the type of, you know, gathering and, and intel work that we were doing. We'd come across it. And, uh, and people were always surprised that it was out there as much as it was. And it's, it would just seem like with such a dedicated, you know, global network of folks that it wouldn't be out there to the extent that it is. It's just so shocking. Well, and I think you do, you've done a particular kind of job, right? So, so threat intel is a particular kind of job where you, you are more likely to see the underside of life, right? And, yeah. and there is some really, really interesting research out there that... Um, Ofcom, uh, which is the UK um, telecoms regulator, and the Information Commissioner's Office um, in the UK, the Data Protection Authority, they did some research this year called the Online Nation Report. And it's really interesting to see what people, you know, the the UK citizens surveyed what they encountered and what they were concerned about. And it raises some really, really interesting questions about whether we should just 
take levels of public concern as being the basis to bring in new legislation or bring in new rules or find new, you know, find tech companies. So for example, you know, we know that there are millions and millions of child abuse images being reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in the US by the big US tech companies. Yeah. But when you ask UK citizens who are 16 or over, um, how many of you have encountered this material? Right. It's actually, it's really, really low. It's 2% of the population have said that they've seen. Oh, okay. What's called, the category they use is material showing child sexual abuse. Now, you could argue, um, does that mean that they just don't know what it is and they might have seen it, but they didn't recognise it when they saw it? Um, who knows? But it, they're much more likely to encounter spam emails, which is a bit of a weird uh, categorization as a harm, because right when we think about not all harms being equal, I definitely would have a spam email on a par with seeing child sexual abuse material, uh, you know. Yes, good point. Um, so, <laughs> but it's really interesting because you know this this Ofcom data, and if you want to know more about this, I should plug my um, article that I wrote on Medium. Um, that I put up there a couple of days ago, which is called On Online Harms and Folk Devils, Careful Now, um, where I go into this data in much more detail. And um, I, I, I really like the fact you got a folk music reference in there. <laughs> it's not a folk music reference. And I've told you before, we're not allowed to refer to my secret self. <laughs> I've got a separate Twitter account. I'm a, I'm a different personality. I'm a professional staff now, Beck. I'm not. Uh, wait a minute. I think we should talk about where you're recording from, Vic, if we're going to talk about, you know, the real professional self here. So what Beck's trying to tell you, and I, I from now on, I'm not telling you things that are going to be used against me. I live in, as you can probably tell, dear listeners, we're not in the same room today, which is why we sound a little bit like we're on a, kind of really stilted video conference um <laughs> i'm in the bathroom of my house <laughs> because it's the only room that i can absolutely say is you know soundproofed I, li I live by quite a noisy road i didn't want you all to have to listen to cars going Ooh. past every second but i'm going to get you back for that pinkard i'm going to get you back I for that you don't know how badly I wanted to flush the toilet just now. If I was closer to my bathroom, I would have flushed the toilet with you for a second on <laughs> Proving once again that we can, we can examine the dark corners of society and still have a bit of a laugh about it. So, oh, you is, have to, though. You have to. But this is, it also makes you think about people, right, and their tolerance for certain things and the things that they're most concerned about, right? Yeah. Because this same set of data shows that 48% of adults 16 plus surveyed um, are concerned about their personal information being stolen, right? But mm. only 33% are concerned about material showing child sexual abuse. So yeah. are we really saying that as a nation, the UK is more concerned about hacking than it is about child protection? Oh, I just think they, again, they don't, they're not exposed to it. So they don't understand the, to, the degree to which it is done and the degree to which it is actually out there. 
Um, and, and to your earlier point, right? Yeah, I think you have to go a bit into the, sort of the seedy underside of the of the internet, or or even you know right off the the quote unquote internet, and onto some of the the other um, like Tor, for example, the Onion. Uh, router router <laughs> uh oh, yeah. that depends on which country you're in doesn't it but router <laughs> and router both options are available yeah but or, or even nowadays what so f- folks have um gone even further underground and they're doing like sharing across some um, you know forms like uh telegram and using yeah. discord servers and things like that so so yeah anyway my original point was i i think it's just that they they don't know about it you know, it's kind of like if you what what's it called? Is it the black swan effect? Like you buy a red car and suddenly you see red cars everywhere type of thing. It, until you're exposed to that information, you, of course, don't have any understanding or awareness of it. And it doesn't matter or factor into your life because that doesn't exist as a, a bit of knowledge in your knowledge pool. But it also, I think, you know, it raises a couple of other really interesting questions. And the first one that I've been quite exercised with in the last few weeks really is what level of harm are we prepared to tolerate as a society, right? So there are certain things that we would say, okay, well, child sexual abuse is intolerable. None of us accept that. But we know it goes on, right? And we know it goes on offline as well. Um, so we yeah. can, perhaps it's, it's, it's more practical and it's more honourable and absolutely right for us to be able to say that we want to eliminate it, right? But if we're thinking about some of the things like hate speech, if we're thinking about things like um, even, you know, looking a bit more kind of tech related, if we're looking at things like deep fakes, are we saying that we yeah. don't want, that we don't, we want to be in a world where citizens are never exposed to this stuff? Or, and I was thinking about, you know, offline crime, we don't ever tell members of society that they will never be burgled we don't ever say to them you will never see a violent crime um so it feels to me like we have a different risk and harm appetite online because we we appear to be saying that it's completely unacceptable for any kind of harm to be experienced online yeah yeah I just, again, I think it just boils down to an awareness. You know, I, all I can do is sit here and think of like my mom or, you know, my grandparents, my elderly next door neighbors, you know, this is never in a million years going to come across their sort of horizon um, to, to any degree or depth of understanding, unless it's on the BBC later, right? Unless they do a news um, sort of broadcast over it. And even then, they're not going to understand uh, the access and the availability that they have just by you know, having, having the internet connectivity. But taking it away from the, the kind of the child protection side for a minute, um, I think it's really interesting for, for folks who are in the UK um, or who may be interested in following legislation and regulation in the area of online harms, which is a much, much broader category than, you know, just um, child abuse uh, material. Um, what the government's proposing to do is have an independent regulator that will hold tech companies to task for what they do, not just to respond to um, child protection issues, but also to look at things like uh, mental health issues, you know, suicide and self-injury, to look at um, hate speech, to look at um, election interference, you know, kind of lumping it all together. 
Um, and there are various problems with that, of course, that, you know, it, it's, I would say it's arguably disrespectful to the victims of child abuse to say that, oh, you know, material uploaded from prisons is harmful to, you know, the nation, the nation's democratic values and trust in society and therefore needs to be in the same the same regulation. But yeah. the backdrop to all of this is that there is a public consultation on these proposals. And, and, you know, we've left it a bit late, but people have until Monday, the 1st of July to respond to that. Um, and, and my point about all of this, I think, my overriding point is, one, yes, we have evidence on child abuse, but we don't have enough evidence on the harmful impact of receiving spam emails you know, although we don't have enough um, evidence of the impact of, um, you know, how, how people actually experience um, some of the more technical threats that we're, we're much more used to talking about. No, that's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. So we're, so we're lacking a robust evidence base. Well, um, it does it not just take time, right? So th- this goes on to yeah. one of my favorite topics of which I have absolutely zero <laughs> intellectual insight into but i love to chat about it so let's go um when you start to look from a a sociological perspective at the internet and, and then in particular social media and its impact to us right over over time we don't have any idea any insight into that right now like i remember as a kid my dad used to say he he (laughs) those of you that you're gonna love all these christian sort of analogies and i just have to apologize for those of you that can't stand them but that's what i have to build on so my dad used to say this thing about god right he'd be like if you hold a pencil to your nose, he's like, that's what you can see, right? He's like, if you hold the pencil way out, God sees that. God sees everything. And to me, wow. that I know, right? That made a big impression as a kid. And I always sort of got that. But then whenever we're talking about like where we sit right now with regards to social media and, and our feelings around it and our experiences with it, I kind of feel that analogy is applicable because we're in it. And we're trying to like figure out what does it mean? How is it impacting us? You know, is it harmful to our kids? Oh, get your kids off their phones. You know, man, I don't know if it's going to be harmful to my kid until we look at 40 years from now and I figure Ooh. out, you know, how has he grown up? Oh, what's happened? I've got, some, I've got some fab weekend reading for you then, because we have just in the last couple of weeks had the first longitudinal study of the impact of social Ooh, I would love to read that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's um, with apologies to Andrew if I mispronounce your name. I can, you know, sorry about that. Um, Andrew Shabilsky. That sounds uh, good. Oxford, that sounds reasonable. The Oxford Internet Institute, the OII, um, and colleagues. He published um, just recently uh, the results from a, a longitudinal study. I want to say that it was over thirteen years, but I, apologies, I may have misremembered the details. But the headline from that is that the impact of social media on people's long-term mental health was tiny. Ah. Shock, shock horror. And it's and we're talking about thousands of young people were surveyed. Thousands. Now that's, that's really interesting. And see, then my immediate question that springs to mind is, you know, because 13 years ago, what, what was it? My God, it was like MySpace, wasn't it? <laughs> so it's like 13 yes. years ago. And, and then obviously, whatever the confines and constraints of the study were. But, but then I'm immediately wondering, well, how is it evolving over time as our use of social media evolves? Is all the technological advancements? I mean, you mentioned deep fakes a while ago. My God, deep fakes have done a number on us, you know, uh, as a society. Yeah. And as a global population 
and I think that it's going to continue to evolve. I don't know if our studies could keep up. I mean, you're the brainiac here. Do you think our studies and the way that we process information to do these studies? Shut up. I don't. (laughs) don't, don't do false modesty. I'm not having it. (laughs) It's not false. I'm saying brainiac because you actually know how these kind of studies and things work, and I don't. And I would presume that you have to have, yeah, a body of time, a body of evidence, and can we gather all of the right information in the time that everything is changing? Because it seems like by the time you gather all the evidence, it's changed so much again. So then is that study relevant, I guess, is the point I'm making. That's, That's definitely a real challenge because of the pace at which the technology changes, right? So just this morning and just overnight, um, we had the really, really interesting case of deep nudes. Did you see that? No, I haven't. Are you kidding me? I haven't even looked at the, I, I freaking got up. I had a coffee. I had some breakfast. I picked my kid up off the ground in the garden where he'd fallen over and almost killed the stag beetle I had to rescue. So <laughs> oh, you've, had a really, you've had a really interesting morning already. And um, stag, stag beetles, there are a lot of them about this year. Look after them. Yes, agreed. Which is why I was, I was late to our call. <laughs> Oh, well, actually, that's a really, really good reason. I, you're completely absolved. Um, so deep news, absolutely no, I fantastic. That. I need to see that. As a, as a particular case study, I think it's brilliant. So deep news, um, just a few folks have developed this app where you can effectively um, put a, a woman's image in it um, and you can effectively look like you've taken their clothes off. Right, so you make them look naked. It's like it's only like a photoshopping app, I guess. Kind of, we've seen people do this with Photoshop in the past, is what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and there's been outcry, of course, and not least from um, charities that support victims of revenge porn. You know, non-consensual intimate yes. image sharing, because you can effectively create revenge porn without having access to the original image. Right. So, this, and and it did occur to me that this might be one of those very very rare cases where there is a certain app or a certain piece of tech that just shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. And normally, I would say, yeah, well, it's hard to think of a reason. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like, is is there such a thing as safe use of deep news? I'm I'm not sure. Well, there why is. would you? No, I mean, a medical purpose is the only thing I can think of. But then wouldn't you just want to see the real nude? I mean. <laughs> right. So so they the, the app's now been withdrawn. And it, there was a really, oh. really interesting statement from the developers where they said, I, I haven't got the exact quote, but basically they said something along the lines of, we've withdrawn the app because we don't think the world is ready for it yet. Ah, will the world ever be ready for that? My question. <laughs> It's quite, yeah, so it's quite a smug way of saying it, but it it raises an interesting point, which is, you know, are there some apps, some tools that actually we just shouldn't have because we're people, you know my constant, my mantra, bad people will always do bad things to other people. That's not going to change. So Um, are there some, some tools that we just shouldn't have that shouldn't be out there? And I'm... I don't know oh, the answer. Absolutely. That seems like a pretty good oh. candidate. 
Oh, I think that's a hundred percent. Yes. I mean, or it shouldn't be out there, you know, available for anyone. But again, that goes back to the gun debate, right? The whole, what do they call the bump stock thing? You know, the, the automatic weapons. And I always think there are tools that would be accessible that should not be accessible to the whole population. You know, do we, face it, we're not that smart as a global population to be able to have access to all the tools. And if I there are aliens you, out there that are... <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it's a really good thing that I don't have a gun. <laughs> it just is. So I'm, is this I'm, back you know, to this? We're not, we're not advocating violence, though, yeah? <laughs> we're not, but I'm just, you know, for society's safety, mainly, actually, because I'm just quite a clumsy person. Most of the time, <laughs> I'm concentrating on, you know, staying upright yeah. and walking in a straight line. Um, and that's but not you know what? How how many times though, right? Because I have definitely thought, oh, a paintball gun would be real handy right now. And if you know, I think we're you, you're obviously well educated. I'm fairly well educated. Fairly well educated adults here, reasonably minded people generally. And if you and I have those kind of thoughts, right, then I think that alone speaks to why we need to have control of different types of tools on a global level. Right. Right, but then at the same time, what's really interesting to see, so a couple of things, one of which, you know, I'm almost, you know, I'm almost certain to forget. So let's see how we go with this one. But um, you mentioned about the US and gun control. I think it was really interesting. You know, there was a group of countries and companies that came together, led by the New Zealand Prime Minister, um, Jacinda Ardern, and by um, Emmanuel Macron in France. And they've called it the Christchurch Call because following the terrorist attack in Christchurch, it's a a renewed kind of cooperation um, between big tech companies like Facebook and governments. I thought it was really, really interesting. I think it's very promising because it was a much more cooperative tone than we've seen in the past it wasn't about punishing tech or anything like that but crucially the u.s did not take part in this and when they were asked why they didn't take part in this um there was a kind of very vague answer that was that was perceived by the tech press to be about freedom of speech that you know extremism uh, in speech in in the u.s is kind of much more part of the culture if you like than it is in in some other countries um and it coincided i think with um the trump administration kind of launching a new attack because they do quite do this quite a lot on social media and in the media on tech companies for censoring free speech yes yes yeah so it's kind of really diametrically opposed approaches to these issues yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, the, the U.S. Is, is sort of screwed itself in a variety of different ways right now, to be honest with you. And, and a lot of people, a lot of Americans that I talk to, um, you know, frankly, quite embarrassed about the whole thing and, and really feel that we've taken a giant step backwards. Um, but I, having grown up in the States, you know, can tell you that, yeah, you know, people are all about this. I'm an American. I can achieve whatever I want. I have these freedoms and these rights, you know, that are granted to me as an American and to a certain extent, they hold on so strongly to that, that again, it goes back to, you know, they can't see the forest for the trees and they're getting so lost and looking 
at all of the individual little trees. You know, here's this right for me and here's this right for me. Oh, screw everybody else. Screw the impact of my actions. You know, oh, forget you guys. It's about me and my rights. And it's like the U.S. has just gotten so much more selfish, you know, on a global scale and in the global economy. Um, and, and yeah, to, to not participating, you know, in, in the coal summit, that's just ridiculous. I just, it, it's outrageous. It's beyond but ridiculous. But at the same time, and you'll, I know you'll have been following this, you know, because it all feeds into each other. It, countries don't operate in a vacuum, do you know what I mean? And when they're doing certain things in relation to their foreign policy, in relation to their domestic policy, we're all interconnected now, yes. much more than we ever were before. Yes. And at the same time, we've got, what we were talking about um, time and again in my third week away, which was in, in Rome at the, the um, Pulse CISO 360 cybersecurity conference, right. which was all about the role of cybersecurity in geopolitics right now, right? Yes. And we are in this strange place where, um, you know, um, social media platforms are saying that they're not going to do pre-installs on Huawei smartphones anymore, um, we've got the, this trade war between US and China, which has somehow brought in cybersecurity. And from, look, I mean, this, we could sound very, very dated by talking about this now, because if people come back to it in a few few months when we know more, we could, I certainly could sound quite foolish, but to the best of my understanding, um, at least some of this has been spun up to suit the purposes of, you know, this trade war. Um, but oh, yeah. we're now in this where the choices that businesses make or the choices that individuals make, if they're picking a Huawei phone or they're using Huawei infrastructure or devices, can suddenly have an impact on their reputation and can suddenly get them dragged into yeah. political discussions that cyber just wasn't a part of a few years ago. Yeah. But again, that's back to that's a marketing ploy. Right. So I think what's happened with that is is back to your uh, point around the, the trade war and everything. These are marketing tactics, almost guerrilla marketing style tactics. Right. Sort of this. It started off as this groundswell of disapproval for the Huawei technology. And it was very specific originally, if you remember, right, to yeah. infrastructure use to support the 5G uh, mobile network rollout. And then that immediately turned into, or I shouldn't say immediately, it grew into over time, you know, just general disapproval of Huawei technology. And then, yes, of course, got, in, you know, tied into uh, uh, all of this trade war nonsense back and forth. Well, I can't say nonsense. You know, it's it's very real on, on several different levels, but into all the back and forth between China and the U.S. And that, again, it just to go full circle with this whole thing, goes back to the fact that I don't think we can fully understand what we're doing right now and the ramifications and the long-term ramifications of these decisions. But are we as humans just going to be stuck in that loop forever? I mean, because I kind of have to think, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, they were making decisions. Then it's like, ah, oh, let's take the tribe and move further north. Oh, crap. It got really cold and we're all going to die. You know, oh, bad decision. <laughs> Really, you've just reminded me there's a really good meme doing the rounds on social media. I think it might it might even be, you know, like a kind of a story from The Onion or, or something like that, um, or News Thump, one of those such sites. Um, and it's all about the um, harmful effects of fire and staring at fire, you know, the kind of the whole screen time 
mania that's been going yes, on yes, over yes, yes, yes. You know, a few months and years. Um, and it's this really, really good spoof article about how dangerous it is to look into the fire for too long. Um, so it's exactly <laughs> that. It's, you know, were cavemen and cave women preoccupied with the amount of fire time their children were getting? <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. On the that amount note, of fire time. <laughs> on that note, you did say, Beck, that you've got a hard stop and that you need oh, to go. I do. I got to go pick up the kid from the overnight camp trip thing that he's done. So, yeah. I mean, I could leave him there, uh, you know, pick him up later. And ask him, did he stare too long into the fire? How does he feel about that? Of how how we deal with um, harms both online and offline. But, you know, maybe he's had too much fire time. You'll be able to see the impact this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> i could definitely tell the impact when he's played video games too long let me tell you that oh uh, yeah oh listen vic thank you so much for all the information and everything that you've shared I, as i mentioned and have made abundantly clear throughout my part of the conversation around um the, the child abuse material uh you know i just i have very little insight into it and it always strikes me as you know someone who is so heavily involved within the cybersecurity space um, that that says a lot, you know, because if I, as someone who is that heavily embedded, have such a little degree of understanding, even despite all the different facets of my different jobs that have touched on that space, to me, that is a clear indication of the common user or the everyday user and their understanding of this space. So I really appreciate you taking time to talk about everything that you've been doing. And, and I hope that our listeners will be able to take something useful away from it as well, despite all of my uh, my antics and silly jokes and, and poking at your bathroom time. <laughs> do you know what? What we should do then is we should, because I, I, do, I do think, and we should probably have done a public safety warning at the start of this, there is a chance that we may have scared the bejesus out of a few people by talk, by diving straight into this subject. So maybe what, what well, we should do uh, in a future podcast is we can do the, um, you know, here's how you can keep people safe online, including yourselves. So do a kind of online safety broadcast. Um, just, that's you know, a brilliant. Hey, do you know what? Let's ask uh, Eliza May Austin, if you're listening to this, or Stephen Ridgeway, if you're listening to this, you guys come and have a chat with us because I know that you're both interested in participating and helping in this perspective as well. And maybe we could do a podcast and have those guys come join us. That would be fantastic. Okay, well, that's us all set up for next time then. Um, <laughs> I think it's about time we, we let everybody go off and, and enjoy their weekends. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Vic. Thank you, uh, two listeners. I think we got more than two now. I mean, surely Paloma's got some kids and stuff in the family that are listening. <laughs> yeah. Make your kids. No, don't make your kids. Listen well, not this one. Maybe. No, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Next time. See you all soon. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>